I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is 1 Samuel chapters 13 and 14. In chapter 13, we see that the Philistines just aren't too tickled with Israel's new king. Verse 1. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him three thousand men of Israel, whereof two thousand were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. And the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel also was had an abomination with the Philistines. And the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. And the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel, thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and pitched in Michmash, eastward from Bethaven. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed, then the people did hide themselves in caves and in thickets and in rocks and in high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Well, first we saw Saul's successful organization of troops and rebellion against the Philistines at Jabesh-Gilead back in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Then in this passage, we see that Saul's son, Jonathan, attacks them, the Philistines, at Geba. They've had enough. The Philistines decide to bring their overwhelming forces against Israel to put this uprising down once and for all, complete with 30,000 chariots and 6,000 men on horses and innumerable foot soldiers. Well, many of the Israeli soldiers run and hide in the caves at the site of this awesome Philistine force. And some of them run away across the Jordan River over east into the land of Gad. Incidentally, verse 1 has caused considerable confusion in the minds of scholars with the wording that's actually less than clear in their minds. To them, it's unclear because of what they expect it to say, not what it actually says. They expect, verse 1, to follow the pattern of the typical introduction of the kings of Israel and Judah presented in the books of First and Second Kings, along with First and Second Chronicles. In those books, we commonly see a declaration of the age when the particular king began reigning, along with how many years he actually reigned. Therefore, they're convinced that verse 1 here must have originally followed the same pattern, and some words were lost in transmission over the centuries. Now, I'm just not comfortable with that view, nor were the editors of the King James Version or the New King James Version. These two translations translate the sentence from the words provided in the Hebrew text. Other translations, however, insert guesses right into the English text without any basis for their guesses. 
Some of those translations place their guesses in brackets or italicize them, but others simply add their conjectures to this verse without providing any indication regarding their actions or why they took those actions. Although the wording of verse 1 does seem a little vague, I think it's best to stick with the original text on this one, a verse which seems to indicate a transition in Saul's reign and not a formal declaration of his reign. With the acceptance of verse 1 at face value to actually mean what it says, we then understand that in the second year of Saul's reign, he appointed a permanent army of 3,000 men. Everyone else who fought did so as reservists. Then we see in verse 2 a fast forward through Saul's reign down to the appearance of his son Jonathan. He's an adult leading his own troops at this point in time. We obviously have been spared the details of two or three decades of Saul's reign between chapters 12 and 13. Then in chapter 13, we see the turning point in Saul's reign. So, beginning with verse 8, we see that Saul actually gets on Samuel's wrong side. Yeah, don't want to be on Samuel's bad side. Verse 8, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed, but Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass, as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Well, here we see that Saul's getting mentally prepared for battle with the Philistines. He's checking items off his battle checklist. Oh, yeah, then there's that pre-battle burnt sacrifice that we need to make. Samuel's supposed to come take care of that, but seven days have passed, and he's still not there. Well, no problem, Saul thinks. I'll just do it myself. Samuel emerges just as Saul's finishing up with the sacrifice, and Samuel's fumed. What exactly was Saul's sin here, you might wonder? Well, notice verse 13 says, Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. Well, the passage makes it clear that Saul had a commandment from the Lord himself that he, in fact, violated. Samuel then declares that Saul's reign as king will end with Saul. No descendant kings. Whoops. That's too bad for Jonathan, wouldn't you say? Now, pay close attention to verse 13. Samuel says that had it not been for this act by Saul, it would be Saul's throne and not subsequently David's throne that is to be established forever. So what's God looking for in a king anyway? I mean, what's the resume here? Well, there it is in verse 14. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. 
the Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. It's interesting to note that King David, Saul's successor, was noted for that very trait. If you'll notice um, some passages of Scripture, when Solomon is compared to David in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 4, it says, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Jeroboam is compared to David in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 8. There it says, Thou hast not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments, and who followed me with all his heart, to do that only which was right in mine eyes. Abijah was compared to David in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 3, when it says of him, And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. And then finally, the Apostle Paul weighs in on this concerning David in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, where Paul says of David, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So David would end up being that man after God's own heart. This incident here marks the point which it was declared that Saul's descendants would not occupy the future throne of Israel. Later in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 10 to 23, Samuel would, in addition, decree that Saul's actual kingship would actually be prematurely cut short. If you'd like more information regarding David's commendable relationship with God, despite his personal shortcomings, read my written notes on Psalm chapter 51. Despite these shortcomings, God established an unconditional covenant with David. I've written an article entitled The Davidic Covenant. You'll find it under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Just go to the main page. We continue on in chapter 13, and we wonder, how are we going to fight without weapons? Beginning with verse 15. And Samuel arose and got him up from Gilgal unto Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people that were present with him, about six hundred men. And Saul and Jonathan his son and the people that were present with him abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped in Michmash. And the spoilers came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned into the way that leadeth to Ophrah, unto the land of Shual. And another company turned the way to Beth Horon. And another company turned the way of the border that looketh to the valley of Zeboam, toward the wilderness. And there was no smith found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, Lest the Hebrews make them swords or spears. But all the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his coulter and his axe and his mattock. Yet they had a file for the mattocks and for the coulters and for the forks and for the axes and to sharpen the goats. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan. But with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found." And the garrisons of the Philistines went out to the passage of Michmash. 
In this passage, Saul organizes his army as the Philistines are surrounding his forces. Saul and his meager army of 600 weaponless foot soldiers are encamped at Gibeah, that's three miles north of Jerusalem. Just four miles northeast of Gibeah, that massive, well-equipped army of Philistine soldiers is prepared for battle. Then the Philistine forces split into four divisions and surround the Israeli ragtag army. Hey, we, we got a problem here. No weapons. The Philistines had confiscated their weapons and made blacksmithing a forbidden trade among the Israelites. We see that in verse 19. In the whole army, only Saul and Jonathan had swords. The rest of the makeshift Israeli army carried garden and woodworking implements. Now let's do a quick, rough calculation of the odds. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and innumerable foot soldiers with real weapons versus Israel with 600 men with two swords and garden tools. Oh well, just fight with what you got and let God do the rest. This would appear to be a regional conflict with the Philistines. Enemy people were still firmly entrenched throughout Israel all the way into the region of David after King Saul. As a matter of fact, King Saul was a battle king. Saul didn't sit up in a palace and rule his kingdom. He fought. Apparently, there was insufficient time to gather a larger army from the fighting capable men of Israel for this battle. The fact that these folks in Gibeah, located within Benjamin's territory, were so dominated by the Philistines that they were not even allowed to have their own blacksmiths verifies that they had been totally victimized by these Philistines up to this point. In chapter 14, we see that Jonathan gets a crazy idea, and it works. Verse 1, Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan the son of Saul said unto the young man that bear his armor, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. And Saul tarried in the uttermost part of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron, and the people that were with him were about 600 men. And Ahiah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people knew not that Jonathan was gone. And between the passages by which Jonathan sought to go over into the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The forefront of the one was situate northward over against Michmash, and the other southward over against Gibeah. And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come and let us go over into the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor-bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart, turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, Behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. If they say unto us, Tarry until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up unto them. But if they say thus, Come up unto us, then we will go up, for the Lord hath delivered them into our hand. And this shall be a sign unto us. And both of them discovered themselves unto the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Behold, the Hebrews come forth out of the holes where they had hid themselves. 
And the men of the garrison answered Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said unto his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord hath delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up upon his hands and upon his feet, and his armor-bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer slew after him. And that first slaughter, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, was about twenty men, within as it were an half-acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plow. And there was trembling in the host in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked, so it was a very great trembling. Now the man representing the priesthood is on the scene with Saul here. His name is Ahiah. Most believe that this is Ahimelech, great-grandson of Eli. You'll recall that Eli was the one who raised Samuel. Ahiah is present for the purpose of representing God's will. We see in verse 3 that he was wearing an ephod. The ephod was the vest worn by the high priest as specified in Exodus chapters 28 and 29. In the ephod was contained the Urim and the Thummim. They were special stones that provided the priest with a special knowledge from God regarding the correct course of action. If you'd like to know more about the Urim and the Thummim, then consult the written notes on Exodus chapter 28, and you'll see a yellow box to the right of the screen right there, and some photos, too, of replicas to get more information on uh, those items. Anyway, the priest was apparently present for the purpose of assisting in the formation of a battle plan uh, as God's representative there. Jonathan leaves the camp with his armor-bearer without consulting his dad or the high priest. He decides to toss out his own fleece before God. He'll just walk up to the Philistines and see what they say. If they say, just wait, we're coming after you, then we'll do nothing. But if they say, bring it on, let's see what you got, then we'll, that means the two of them, just Jonathan and his armor bearer, will wade right in and let them have it. What a crazy idea. But it works. They slay about 20 of the Philistines, just the two of them. Then they have some supernatural, significant help from God when God sends an earthquake at the very moment Jonathan and his armor bearer finish their attack. Look at those Philistines panic. They turn on themselves and the Israelites, hiding in the caves, come out to fight. Sweet victory. Incidentally, you gotta love what Jonathan says in verse 6 regarding their chances here when he says to his armor-bearer, For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. He's telling his armor-bearer that when God's in control, it just doesn't matter how many comprise your assault force. Obviously, he learned a lesson or two from Gideon back in his incident and his battle in Judges chapters 6 through 8. Meanwhile, the earthquake is heard by Saul's troops. We take up reading now with verse 16 of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went on beating down one another. Then said Saul unto the people that were with him, Number now, and see who has gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor-bearer were not there. And Saul said unto Ahiah, Bring hither the ark of God, for the ark of God was at that time with the children of Israel. And it came to pass, while Saul talked unto the priest, that the noise that was in the host of the Philistines went on and increased. And Saul said unto the priest, 
withdraw thine hand. And Saul and all the people that were with him assembled themselves, and they came to the battle, and behold, every man's sword was against his fellow. And there was a very great discomfiture. Moreover, the Hebrews that were with the Philistines before that time, which went up with them into the camp from the country round about, even they also turned to be with the Israelites that were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel, which had hid themselves in Mount Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, even they also followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over into Bethaven. Well, here we see that Saul discovers that Jonathan and his armor-bearer are not there while he's listening to the commotion from the earthquake. Saul is talking to Ahiah, the high priest, about the situation, and he decides he'd like to have the Ark of the Covenant present for this battle. However, before anything can be arranged, the commotion among the Philistines increases and Saul dismisses the high priest from his mission. The Philistine army at this point's in disarray. In their flight, they turn on each other with their weapons. It also turns out that the Hebrew soldiers the Philistines had incorporated into their army were less than loyal. They switch sides and begin fighting for the Israeli army. But wait, there's more. Those Israelis who had hidden themselves to avoid fighting decide to come out and fight as well. Well, the Israelites prevail, and now it's on to Bethaven. In the next few verses, very interesting verses, kind of bizarre, but we see that a little bit of honey stops the campaign, beginning now with verse 24. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged on mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were come into the wood, behold, the honey dropped, and no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath, wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand, and dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be that man that eateth any food this day. And the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if haply the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found. For had there not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? And they smote the Philistines that day from Michmash to Ajalon, and the people were very faint. And the people flew upon the spoil and took sheep and oxen and calves and slew them on the ground, and the people did eat them with the blood. Then they told Saul, saying, Behold, the people sin against the Lord in that they eat with the blood. And he said, Ye have transgressed. Roll a great stone unto me this day. And Saul said, Disperse yourselves among the people, and say unto them, Bring me hither every man his ox, and every man his sheep, and slay them here, and eat, and sin not against the Lord in eating with the blood. And all the people brought every man his ox with him that night, and slew them there. And Saul built an altar unto the Lord, the same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. And Saul said, 
Let us go down after the Philistines by night and spoil them until the morning light. And let us not leave a man of them. And they said, Do whatsoever seemeth good unto thee. Then said the priest, Let us draw near hither unto God. And Saul asked counsel of God, Shall I go down after the Philistines? Wilt thou deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he answered him, Not that day. And Saul said, Draw ye hither all the chief of the people, and know and see wherein this sin hath been this day. For as the Lord liveth, which saveth Israel, though it be in Jonathan my son, he shall surely die. But there was not a man among all the people that answered him. Then said he unto all Israel, Be ye on one side, and I and Jonathan my son will be on the other side. And the people said unto Saul, Do what seemeth good unto thee. Therefore Saul said unto the Lord God of Israel, Give a perfect lot. And Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. And Saul said, Cast lots between me and Jonathan my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what thou hast done. And Jonathan told him and said, I did but taste a little honey with the end of the rod that was in mine hand, and lo, I must die. And Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation in Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he hath wrought with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan, that he died not. Then Saul went up from following the Philistines, and the Philistines went to their own place. Well, here we see that Saul's army, they're on a roll. He gets excited and issues a curse on anybody who eats before the finishing off the enemy at the end of the day. One big problem, though, his son Jonathan didn't get the word. He tasted a little honey, and it perks him right up. However, upon being informed concerning Saul's decree, he even questions the wisdom of Saul's oath in verses 29 and 30. Though faint from hunger, Saul's army thoroughly thrashes these Philistines from Michmash to Ajalon, it says. After the victorious outcome of the battle against the Philistines, Saul has to straighten out a little bit of a deviation on his army's part in that they partook of the Philistines' cattle in violation of Levitical guidelines inasmuch as they didn't drain the blood first. He establishes an altar to set this issue straight. Now, you recall from verse 3 that the high priest is present here, and he's wearing the ephod uh, containing the Urim and the Thummim. These items were commonly used to determine God's will through the process of casting lots. However, when Saul could not get clearance from Jehovah to proceed further in pursuit of the Philistines, he decides there must be some sin in the camp. So here we go with the casting of lots again. Again, uh, look at Proverbs chapter 16 to see what this process is all about and how it determined the will of God. Well, in the process of casting lots, the lot falls on Jonathan, identifying him as the snack culprit. Saul decides that Jonathan's got to die. After all, an oath is an oath. Hebrews were very serious about fulfilling their oaths, regardless of how ill-conceived they might have been. 
Jonathan even agrees that he himself must die. But the people talk Saul out of it. So after a great day at battle, everybody goes home to live to fight another day. The campaign against the Philistines stops at this point, and it was all over a little bit of honey. Oh, by the way, I should add here that that wouldn't be the last fight that would be broken up by a little honey. Okay, I kind of meant that as humor. In chapter 14, verses 47 to 52, let's meet Saul's family. Verse 47. So Saul took the kingdom over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab and against the children of Ammon and against Edom and against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. And whithersoever he turned himself, he vexed them. And he gathered an host and smote the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of them that spoiled them. Now the sons of Saul were Jonathan and Ishuai and Melchishua. And the names of his two daughters were these the name of the firstborn, Merab, and the name of the younger, Michael. And the name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz, and the name of the captain of his host was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. And Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. And there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man, or any valiant man, he took him unto him. Well, it's finally time for introductions. Remember these people, we'll be coming back to them many times as we read on. Notice verse 52. Saul understood the value of a strong defense. It says, And there was sore war against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man, or any valiant man, he took him unto him. There's no peace for Saul. He was a warring king with a carefully chosen army all of his days. In addition, we see in verse 47 that Saul also fought against Moab, Ammon, Edom, and against the kings of Zobah, which is in the north of Israel. In verse 48, toss in the Amalekites to round out Saul's battles against the enemies of Israel. However, without question, Saul's main war during his lifetime was definitely with the Philistines. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.